Hey, before you're seated, I want to introduce someone to you, and then uh, we want you to greet one another. But this morning, as we continue our grace series, and if you've been with us, we're looking at the different great world religions and traditions, and this morning we're going to look at Judaism, and we welcome back to our pulpit this morning a friend of Bel Air, David Brickner. He's the executive director of Jews for Jesus. He's got a great story from Boston University getting involved and and converted to Christ uh, through the ministry of Jews to Jesus. Eventually, he's become the executive director, the president, the international director, and about every other office you can have in that organization. But he and his wife and his kids live up in uh, the Bay Area. He went to Fuller Seminary and uh, just a great uh, man of God. And so he's going to bring the message this morning. You'll have a chance to meet him afterwards and maybe bless into their ministry with uh, Stan Meyer, who's here as one of the directors in the Los Angeles area. But before you're seated, why don't you uh, turn and uh, introduce yourself to someone and uh, see if they've been to Israel. And if not, when are they going? Of all the faiths, Judaism is unique and it is not defined by religion, race, or even ethnicity. In fact, many of Jewish descent do not believe in their religion at all. Over half of all Jews in Israel today call themselves secular. The Jews are a nation. They are a deep-rooted community with a common history and destiny. Within this extended nation are many liberal to conservative movements. These are orthodox, reform, conservative, and reconstructionist. The Torah is their holy scripture. As a core faith, Jews share many basics with Christianity, the nature of God, the sinful nature of man, and our free will to depart from sin. But Judaism has no dogma, no formal set of beliefs that one must hold to be a Jew. Jews believe they have a special status in the eyes of God, But with that status comes a greater responsibility. Thus God will punish Jews for sins that non-Jews are exempt from. In Judaism, actions are far more important than beliefs. Judaism focuses on relationships, primarily the relationship between God and mankind. And with this relationship comes mutual obligations. These are played out in the many rituals such as Torah readings, bar and bat mitzvahs, seders, and upholding the Sabbath. Jews believe in a Messiah that is yet to come. They believe he'll be a great political leader descended from King David. And when he comes, the Jews believe their Messiah will be a human being and not a God. Shalom. It's great to be back here at Bel Air. Thank you, Roger and uh, Pastor Mark, for inviting me, especially at this time with the Grace series on Judaism. Uh, As the executive director of Jews for Jesus, maybe you think, well, that's kind of a strange take on Judaism. I mean, Jews for Jesus sounds like a contradiction, you know, like saying vegetarians for meat, you know. (laughs) Whoever heard of Jews for Jesus? Well, if you remember, Jesus himself is Jewish, right? The disciples, Peter, John, and James, they were all Jews. All the writers of the New Testament, with the possible exception of Luke, were Jewish. And we know that Luke was a doctor, so who knows? (laughs) But there's no question that the issue is controversial, especially in the Jewish community. Jewish guy came up to me not too long ago and he said, David, how can you be a Jew for Jesus? I said to him, well, Jesus was Jewish, right? He thought a minute. He said, yeah, Jesus was Jewish, but then he converted and became a Catholic. (laughs) So the misunderstanding persists, but I'm so grateful to Bel Air for 
the interest in and the support of Jews for Jesus and also for your desire to have a greater understanding of the Jewish community and of Judaism in particular. And I think it's really appropriate that this is the day that we're going to be focusing on that because while most Jewish people in America don't know this, this is actually one of the most solemn and sad days on the Jewish calendar. If you go to Jerusalem, this whole day in front of the Western Wall, that whole plaza area is packed with ultra-Orthodox religious Jews with black coats and black hats all morning because today is Tisha B'Av, which means the ninth day of the month of Av. Uh, and according to the rabbis, on this day, both the first temple and the second temple were destroyed. And this historic reality has created a tremendous rift within the Jewish psyche and the Jewish faith. And we're going to talk about that today. I remember the first time I went to Jerusalem, I was part of a music group from Jews for Jesus called the Liberated Wailing Wall. (laughs) We sing Jewish gospel music, which is kind of a cross between Israeli folk and Fiddler on the Roof. It's great stuff. But we were there in Israel ministering right out onto the streets. And on one particular occasion, we were at the top of Ben Yehuda Street in downtown Jerusalem. It's kind of a pedestrian mall. And in front of the Hamashbir, which is kind of like the Macy's department store there in Israel. And we were singing and doing a little outdoor impromptu concert. And uh, all of us wearing t-shirts that said, Yehudim Laman Yeshua, Jews for Jesus, and Hebrew. So the Israelis many of whom are secular, as that piece rightly pointed out, they were—they knew who we were, but they were drawn to the music, and there was a crowd that was forming, and they were enjoying it. People were clapping their hands and tapping their toes. There was even a little group off to the side doing some folk dancing, and I thought, man, this is great. Here we are preaching the gospel right in Jerusalem. And then I noticed out of the corner of my eye five yeshiva bookers. Now that's the young ultra-orthodox seminary students. You've seen the pictures with the broad rim black hats and the side curls, you know. And they were walking towards us with a look of grim determination on their faces. And I knew we were in trouble. And sure enough, they got right up in front of us and they started screaming and yelling. And then one of the guys reached out to grab my wife, Patty. Patty's playing the violin. So this guy is trying to grab the bow to wrench the bow out of her hands. And I'm thinking, this is it. You know, we're going to get martyred right here on the streets of Jerusalem. (laughs) And right at that point, up walked an Israeli, a secular Israeli, a big secular Israeli. He was about six foot four, 260 pounds, completely bald. He kind of looked like Jesse Ventura, you know. And he got up in these guys' faces and he says to them, you touch them and I'll touch you. (laughs) And these guys backed off, you know, and were able to continue ministering. And I thought to myself, praise God. The Bible says the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him to deliver them from harm. I just never knew he looked like Jesse Ventura. (laughs) But that story illustrates something that I like to call the Jerusalem Dilemma, which is very significant for our discussion here this morning because there really is a dilemma surrounding this place, which is a symbol for all the the three major faiths of the world, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. But for Judaism in particular, it is a controversial place and a symbol of defeat A lot of the imagery that was shown in the backdrop of the music uh, that we were singing 
was not the temple itself, but the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque that are two Muslim religious spots that are right on top of the temple. And so Jerusalem really represents a dilemma for the Jewish community, but Jerusalem also represents a a dilemma for believers in Jesus to understand what's really going on. Post-Second Temple, Judaism is a very different faith than it was during the time when Jesus walked the earth. During the time when the Old Testament, the Torah, the Tanakh was being composed. And we see this controversy that has continued to this very day. I mean, Barack Obama got in a lot of political trouble by saying some things about Jerusalem, remember? And so it's still a hot-button issue. Think about it. Jerusalem, in Hebrew, scholars think means... Well, Ir Shalom, city of peace. How ironic. There hasn't been peace there since before the time that Jesus walked the earth. There have been over 130 separate wars fought over Jerusalem, more than any other place on the planet. What other city has witnessed more of the great revelation of God, the miracles of God, the very Messiah of God, and yet it stands to this day as a city divided. And why? How are we to think about it? Well, I want to take a look at Jesus' words about Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 23. Because Jesus confronted the Jerusalem dilemma head on. As we come to this passage... The backdrop is that Jesus has been having a public ministry in and around Jerusalem and the north in Galilee for some three and a half years. And he is very popular as a rabbi, as a teacher among the Jewish people that are the common folk, the Am Haaretz, the people of the earth, because he fed the multitudes and he healed the sick and he taught with authority, not as the scribes and Pharisees, the Bible says. But you see, it was among those scribes and Pharisees that Jesus was not very popular. They didn't like him because he didn't fit into the mold of what they wanted a rabbi to do and say. He upset the apple cart, you know? And so they plotted against his life. The entire Jewish leadership got together, which was kind of an amazing thing, you know? There's no pope in Judaism. You need to understand this, all right? They say, when you have three Jews, you have five opinions, Well, that's true today, and it was certainly true back then. And yet, there was amazing agreement among the the leadership about this one thing. Jesus is not for us. He needs to be stopped. And so they plotted against this life. And the center of that plot was in Jerusalem, in the temple. And Jesus, knowing this, now comes into Jerusalem. Right into the temple. You know, when you're walking in the will of God, you can go anywhere. (laughs) doesn't matter what forces there are that are are arrayed against you, what problems you face. When you are in obedience to God, none of that matters because God is with you. And Jesus, more than anybody else on the earth, walked in obedience to God. And so he walks into the middle of that temple and delivers this last public sermon before going to the cross. And if you read the whole chapter, you'll see it's largely a diatribe against those very leaders who are plotting against his life. But in the last three verses of the chapter, he opens up and expands his message to all of Jerusalem. And of course, he's not talking to bricks and mortar. He's talking to the people of Jerusalem as they represent the nation of Israel scattered then as they are even to this day all around the world. And he cries out, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. 
How often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Baruch Habab Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus here is addressing the Jerusalem dilemma head on pointing out that, first of all, there is a dilemma with regard to this issue of unbelief. The dilemma of unbelief is something that has been gnawing at the edges of Christian consciousness from time immemorial since 2,000 years. People come up to me all the time and say, David, how come, how come Jewish people don't believe in Jesus? I mean, it seems so clear, the prophecies. Can't they just read Isaiah 53? Why the unbelief? It seems to be a mystery, and Jesus doesn't have that problem. He points out that the response of the nation of Israel throughout time has not been belief, but just the opposite, rejection. First of all, he says, Jerusalem what? Can't you read Isaiah 53? He says, no, Jerusalem who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you. You see, Israel has not had the greatest track record when it comes to following after God. I mean, what other nation experienced the tremendous redemption that we read about in the Passover story, the miracles, the parting of the Red Sea? But what was the first thing that we did when we got out of the wilderness? Well, we began to fetch, you know? We, can't, we began to complain. We said, Moses, we didn't have enough trouble back in the land of Egypt. And look at this. You brought us out into this God-forsaken wilderness. And oh, we remember the leeks and the onions and the tomatoes and the garlic and the melons. And oh, Egypt was so good. And now look at us. And the Bible tells us that entire generation of Israelites perished in the wilderness. Why? Unbelief. Unbelief has been characteristic of the response of Israel, of Jerusalem, of the Jewish people. And the prophets were working out of that. If you read through the rest of the Tanakh, the prophets... You know, today everybody's lining up to be the next prophet of God with the message of God to the people of God. But in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament... Prophets were running in the opposite direction. Don't send me there! (laughs) Because they knew that they were buying into rejection. And so Jesus now coming at the end of his public ministry, knowing that he's the fulfillment of all the hope and all the promise of all those prophets, understands what's about to happen to him. And you know, I need to say this. The Jerusalem dilemma is not unique to Jerusalem. (laughs) Jewish people do not have the corner on the market of unbelief. If you think about it, Israel, the Jewish people, are an example, a microcosm of all of humanity. Since the beginning of time, all human beings have been shaking our fist at the heavens and saying to God, you'll not rule over me. And so in reality, the Jerusalem dilemma is the... Southern California dilemma is the dilemma of the human heart. And so we all face this. And so it's important for us to understand how Jesus responded to this dilemma of unbelief. He said, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Now, this is kind of a cosmic statement from the Son of God, very self-aware, divine statement. Looking down this vast corridor of human history, seeing this long 
series of rejections of the messengers of God, Jesus says, nevertheless, I have longed to gather you. Very self-aware divine statement. I have longed to gather you the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And, you know, Israel was deeply impacted by her hymnal. The Psalms were Israel's hymnal. And there were certainly a top ten in Jesus' day. And I think he's reflecting one of those top ten psalms. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty under his wings. Whose wings? The Almighty's wings. Jesus, the Almighty, the Messiah, is saying, in spite of your unbelief, in spite of your rejection, oh Israel, oh Jerusalem, I want to gather you. I want to love on you. I want to reach out and, and bring you to myself and protect you like a mother hen protects her little chicks. That nurturing love is God's response in the face of human unbelief. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus was so committed to this response of God that not many days after he uttered this statement, he stretched out his wings, his arms on a cruel cross. In fulfillment of prophecy, he shed his blood to pay the penalty for Jerusalem's sins, for your sins, for my sins. He died in our place. But because of who he is, the Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, the anointed of God. You see, death could not hold him and the grave could not keep him. And he rose again from the grave. And now that same resurrection power of God is available to be applied to the lives of all those who respond to his message. Whosoever will come, come. There's a place of grace under the wings of the Almighty that has been established. Forgiveness of sin, reconciliation, healing for the dilemma of unbelief. God offers that to Jerusalem. God offers that to all of us today. Isn't that good news? And I want you to know something. We are seeing a greater openness to this good news in Israel now than in any other Jewish community in the world. (laughs) I just returned from Israel. We actually have now the largest branch of our ministry in Israel. And uh, we have just launched an extensive Campaign. We're calling it Behold Your God Israel. Over the next six years, we're going to have saturation evangelistic outreaches in every city throughout Israel. Jesus himself said, you'll not finish going through the cities of Israel before the coming of the Son of Man. So we're walking in the footsteps of the disciples in reaching out. And it's possible, not only that, it's fruitful. We were able to hand out during a month in Tel Aviv over 130,000 gospel tracts. We placed over 37,000 direct phone calls to the homes of Israelis. And we were able to receive over 2,000 names, addresses, contacts of Israelis who said, send me the, the Bible in, in, in New Te- the New Testament in Hebrew. See, one of the problems that you have with Israelis is they don't even know Jesus and who he is. We did a survey that was conducted by a legitimate polling agency in Israel. Uh, and most Israelis don't know even how to say his name. They don't call him Yeshua, which is his name in Hebrew. They call him Yeshu. And Yeshu isn't really a name. It was a, an, it's an acrostic that was given to him, to Jesus, by rabbis in the medieval time. And it stands for Yamach Shemo Vizikro. May his name and memory be blotted out. So it's actually a curse. And most Israelis don't even know when they call him Yeshu that they're pronouncing a curse. That is how little gospel preaching has been done. And yet there's such openness. 
32 Israelis prayed with us to receive Jesus as their Messiah during that month-long campaign. Isn't that wonderful? Praise the Lord. And the very last day of the campaign, we got a call from one of the most popular national television programs in Israel, Ha'olam Haboker, which means the, the world this morning. And our Israeli director, Dan Sarad, had a 15-minute live interview on national Israeli television where he got a chance to share his testimony and share the gospel numerous times. I'm telling you guys, it's happening. And one of the amazing things that's happening along with all of this is that God is bringing reconciliation between Arabs and Jews. You know, God loves Arabs just as much as he loves Jews. It's important for us to realize that we're going to be talking about Islam next, next week. God loves everyone the same. But here's the deal. Everybody knows about the conflict. But when Arabs and Jews can say to one another, I love you in Jesus' name, the world will truly see the reconciling power of the gospel. And it's happening. <laughs> it's happening. We have a young couple on our staff, Peter and Yarden Nasser. Now, you've got to know Nasser is not a Jewish name. <laughs> Peter is an Arab, and he came to know the Lord Jesus. Yarden, his wife, is an Israeli Jew. She came to know the Lord Jesus. They met through Jews for Jesus on a short-term ministry outreach that we had. They fell in love. They got married. They've been trained. And now they're serving together in Israel, preaching the gospel to Arabs and Jews. And that's what it's all about. And we want to give you an opportunity to be involved in some of the exciting things that are going on. Um, after the service, if you'd stop by either our table outside or the information booth in the lobby, uh, pick up a card that looks like this. Uh, we want you to take this card and uh, there's a little perforation you can tear uh, and hold on to the smaller piece. This is a prayer reminder card because the most important way for you to be involved is through your prayers. And I know a lot of you know Jewish people who need Jesus. And the first thing that I want to encourage you to do is to pray for them. And this card will help you to remember that. It says, I will pray for the peace of Jerusalem, Psalm 122.6. And then it says, I especially want you to remember to pray for in a blank. Now, when I just said that, someone came to your mind. What I want you to do is put that person's name on this blank, put it in your Bible, and remember to pray, because that's the first thing. Now, the second thing is... We want you to get our newsletter, which will tell you more about the Jewish roots of your faith. It will tell you more about what's going on in the ministry, not only in Israel, but all around the world. And it will also help you to know how to share Jesus with your Jewish friends. So fill out this card and drop it at our literature table. I also want to send you a book uh, that, since the last time I was here, I've actually published two books. And uh, this is one of them, Christ and the Feast of Tabernacles. I also uh, came out with Christ and the Feast of Pentecost. And so I want to send you one or the other. Can't send you both for free. But uh, one or the other, if you just take, uh, you can write uh, Tabernacles or Pentecost and drop it off at the booth. Uh, and uh, we'll be glad to send you that book and our newsletter. There's a lot of free literature back there. And if you want to know how to share your faith with Jewish people, I wrote a little pamphlet called Some Pointers on Witnessing to Your Jewish Friends. It's purple. Pick it up. Also greet uh, uh, Stan Meyer and his wife, Holly, who lead the Los Angeles work of Jews for Jesus. And if you are a part of the Westwood crowd, you go to UCLA, our offices are right on LeCant, right across from the Uberoth Center. So come on over. We have a bookstore there, a lot of literature. We even have a, a great college ministry that's growing. It has a kind of a, 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 a little cafeteria thing upstairs. And so we want to invite you to come and find out what we're doing in your community as well. Uh, we want you to pray for us. 
as we're reaching out in Israel all around the world. And especially pray for Jewish people today. Today who are, many of them, not even aware that the rest is mourning. Not even aware of what's going on in Jerusalem. The solemnity of the day. And that solemnity is a direct result of this Jerusalem dilemma. Jesus said that there's a dilemma of unbelief, but then secondly, he talked about the dilemma of God's judgment. And we don't like to talk about judgment today. Ju- don't judge me. That's one of the, <laughs> one of the most common f- refrains. But judgment is a very natural byproduct of a holy God who has standards. And Jesus himself said, I've longed to gather you under my wings the way a hen gathers her chicks, but, what? You were not willing. See, God never forces his way into anyone's life. The grace that we're talking about in this grace series is such that it's a gift. It's freely offered. It's never forced. It can't be. And so when Jesus pointed out to Jerusalem there in Matthew 23, but you were not willing, the automatic consequences is this judgment. And look what he said. The reality of that judgment is very clear. Verse 38, look, your house is left to you desolate. Now, what does he mean by that? That's exactly what we're talking about today. Remember where he was teaching. Remember where he was standing. He was in the temple. Not like temples around Southern California, but the temple. See, God had promised Abraham and Moses that a temple would be built on that very place where now the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock stand. That very place where now the Muezzin, the the Islamic chant leaders, pronounce Allah Akbar over that holy place. And Jesus said... Your house is left to you desolate. That temple was where God said, I'm going to meet you there. I'm going to hear your prayers. And I'm going to forgive your sins. And Israel knew that God had promised that his presence was there. That there was atonement. But now Jesus stands in that very place and says, guess what? From now on, desolate. And Jesus' words have echoed down through the centuries. Not a generation after he said this. Titus and his Roman legions marched into Jerusalem in 70 AD, destroying both the temple and the city. And that western wall, the outward retaining wall that Herod built to beautify that second temple is all that remains. Desolate. If you were to go and to stand outside of a synagogue in a few weeks... On Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And it used to be in the temple, that was when the high priest would go into the Kodesh HaKodeshim, the Holy of Holies, and there minister on behalf of the nation for forgiveness of sin. But it's no more. And so every year on Yom Kippur, the holiest of all days, Jewish people go into the synagogue and fast and pray and ask God for forgiveness. We greet one another, Lashana Tova Tekatevu, may your name be inscribed for another year. And if you were to ask someone coming out of that service, do you know if God heard your prayers? Do you know if your sin has been forgiven? Do you know if your name has been inscribed for another year? The answer would be, I hope so. I hope so. But who can really know? 
who indeed, but those of us who've come under the wings of the Almighty, who've experienced the grace and the love and the forgiveness of God through his Messiah, Yeshua. That's the burden. And that's the hope as well that Jesus leaves his hearers and us today with. There's a return from judgment that he promised to conclude his message there in the temple. For I tell you, you will not see me again. Jerusalem, you will not know my presence. You will not know the benefit of what I have come to bring. Salvation, grace. You will not see me again until you say, Baruch haba b'shem Aronai. Another reference to a popular song in Israel. In fact, the number one hit of all time. The Great Hallel, it's called. Psalm 118. And this psalm, which Jesus is quoting, is the same passage of Scripture that says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Save now, we beseech thee. Save now, O Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so Jesus is saying to Jerusalem, to Israel, indeed to all, you will not experience the grace that I have to bring, the forgiveness, the salvation that is yours in me until you recognize me as that stone once rejected, but now the chief. Until you acknowledge me as the one who has come in the name of, that is representing the full character, privileges, and responsibilities and rights of the Lord himself. Until you say, you are Jesus, the Messiah, the Holy One. Well, I submit to you that not many days after he said this in the temple, after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to glory, there were some 3,000 Jews who saw him. On the day of Pentecost, they heard this good news from the lips of the Apostle Peter. And they repented and they turned their hearts over to him. And they saw him because he came to dwell in their hearts by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I am so grateful to God that here I am, some 2,000 years later, a Jew who has said to Jesus, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. And yet most have not. And there is both the challenge and the opportunity that overcomes the dilemma of history through the power of God's Spirit. And I want to encourage you all. God is great and He's doing something great in our day. And I want to invite you to be a part of it. In fact, I'd like us to close this time by articulating, actually singing these very words from Jesus. If you would stand together, I'm going to sing this for you. We're going to sing it both in Hebrew and in English. This prayer, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, if you're here and you've never welcomed Jesus, Yeshua, to be your Messiah, you can sing this as a prayer of welcome to ask him to come to be your Messiah, your Lord, to forgive you, even today. Or if you have someone that you've been praying for, whom you love, who's Jewish, who needs Jesus, why don't you pray this and sing it as a prayer that God might touch them, that they might welcome him? 
Or maybe you want to just pray and ask Jesus to come in a special way to be with you, to meet your need this very day. Whatever the desire of your heart, sing this song first in Hebrew, Baruch Haba, Bashem Adonai, Hallelujah. And then we'll sing it in English and give thanks to our Messiah. Give me the first. Baruch Haba, Bashem Adonai, Hallelujah. seated.